0: Welcome to Never Meet Your Idols, a podcast where your idols get real, whether Whether you like it it or not. Hi.
2: Hi. Here we are again. Yeah, here we are. We've made it to episode two it hasn't been easy yeah we finally got here good job (laughs) but yeah this is technically our second episode but it's our first full-length episode and first episode with a guest
0: yeah we have an amazing guest we have kate nash poor
2: thing is going to be our guinea pig our very first guest and yeah i guess we've set the bar pretty high with that so it's only downhill from here now only
0: down from here
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be good, though. Um, she is a world-famous musician who has sold more than a million records.
0: Not only is she a musician, as you said, she's also an actress on the Netflix um, hit series Glow. Um, but she's also a subject of a documentary film that was just released um, called Underestimate the Girl by Amy Goldstein. It's, yeah, It's really powerful and great, and we can't recommend it enough. Definitely check it out.
2: So we're going to be talking to Kate in a little bit. But first, we're going to talk shit about Jared Leto. <laughs> we got um, a pretty great story submitted this week. Um, let's just dive right
0: into it. Laura, take it from here. So a good friend of mine who shall remain anonymous to um, protect his identity has this story about the one and only Jared Leto. And he kindly sent it to me. i just going to read it. I got asked to film a live music video with interviews for 30 Seconds to Mars, so management agreed to do it up in Newcastle, which is where my friend is from. I went down and they gave us this tiny little janitor's cupboard to use. I set a chair up and lights and the camera and then waited for Jared, who was two hours late. Of course. (laughs) Of course. Finally came into the room. I said. Hi, I'd met and worked with him a couple of times. At this point, he didn't acknowledge me or say hi back. I asked him, <laughs> I asked him to sit down on the chair where I'd set lights around for the interview and the cameras. And he said, "Definitely not. I'm I'm going to stand over here." <laughs> so I said, "Okay," and proceeded to move all of the lights and cameras to the other side of the room. <laughs> what <laughs> asshole! and sat on the bloody seat I'd originally set up. Uh, Wow, classic power move. Um, I then moved all of the cameras and lights back to where they were. I put the mic on him and said, if you could just count to five for me so I can test the mic. He looked at me and said, I absolutely will not count to five.
2: You cannot (laughs) count to five, perhaps.
0: (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Maybe he had no idea. I then went behind the camera and asked the first question, which was, before you head down to the stage and there are 10,000 kids screaming for you, what's going through your mind? He said, Stop. Stop. If you're going to ask me questions, you're going to have to sit on the floor and not look at me so I can't see you. (laughs) Sit on the floor. (laughs) And not look at him. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> so there i was me and jared and his tour manager in a brim cupboard with me sitting cross-legged on the floor asking him questions and not making eye contact after he left the tour manager said that we weren't allowed to film the show even though that's the only reason their managers got us down in the first place wow jared leto he is he made him sit on the floor and not look at him while interviewing him.
1: He's pro- royalty.
2: <laughs> royalty of bad music. I mean, I've heard
0: lots of. He's years the king. Of that. Um, great actor, but terrible band.
2: <laughs> you know, I didn't even know really that. I mean, I had always heard he was in a band, but I thought it was just another actor in a, in a band that nobody cared about. And I just assumed that because I didn't care about it. But then I realized after playing festivals, I think they were always, you know, 30 Seconds to Mars was always on the big stages. And I didn't realize they had hundreds of thousands of fans. Yeah. But I've never heard a good thing from them. Or about <laughs> yeah, them. that's
0: so true. There's many, we could probably do a whole episode on Jared Leto, I reckon, of stories from, from uh, people that have encountered him but I challenge Jared Leto to be a guest on this yes. show. We,
2: we swear we won't look at you, Jared. We have no interest.
0: <laughs> I reckon maybe he's got some sort of radar that when his name pops up, he's like dialed in. So maybe he's just so he knows what people are saying about him.
2: He has a Google alert set on his name. That's like implanted in yeah. his
0: head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, I love Jared Leto when I was growing up. So this is, It is kind of funny for me because I kind of disassociate him as an actor and his band. Because growing up, I loved the program My So-Called Life. I don't know if you ever watched that. I know that. Yeah, With Claire Danes. Yeah, Claire Danes. It was like my favorite thing. And he was like the heartthrob in it. And I just really fancied him. So (laughs) I had posters of him all around my room, above my bed.
2: Above your bed?
0: Yeah and it's
2: he's cute he he's always been he's like the kind of brooding i don't know he's i, I liked him in requiem for a dream when he was yeah. shooting up heroin um but jennifer <laughs> connelly is even more gorgeous than jared yeah. leto but he yeah I, I get the whole appeal you know just on the surface level he's he's good yeah. looking
0: he is but i mean he is on that when you're young and he's like in in this like- 90s, like I don't know what you call it, like 90s sort of teenage series. He was like he was like the broody like guyner. I think he was in a band or he was kind of like that. And I thought he was just really cool. Um, and then you heard his music. and then, Yeah. <laughs> and then he always picks really good movies. I think he is a great actor, but God, he his music. I mean, the first time I ever saw that band was um, in Indonesia. We played uh, with with them and. Yeah, we were all in the same hotel. I remember seeing him in real life thinking, wow, he, he does look great for his age. Like, I think it's... Well, all he's that...
2: probably, like, living off of the blood of young girls yes. or something.
0: I think he is. <laughs> I think it's something weird. I heard that he only eats cold food or something, so some sort of diet is on And Yeah, girls' mm. blood or whatever. But, yeah, uh, he does look great. But it was, like, on stage, wow, it's like he thinks he's Jesus or something. Mental.
2: Every Whoa. festival I've played with 30 Seconds of Mars on the bill, they were the ones. You know, there's always these bands at festivals that have closed stages and they're the most high maintenance band. Like, nobody can come onto their stage. Nobody can come anywhere near their trailers, blah, blah, blah. Live the skit. <laughs> oh, God. Nobody wants to be on their stage anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh, let
0: that's me funny. tell you. <laughs>
2: But I feel like Thirty Seconds to Mars always had a closed stage because they maybe are playing to track or hiding something. I mean, why wouldn't your friend be allowed to film their show? It's just kind of suspicious. Like, are they mm. even playing music? Do they well, even have? I don't know. I mean, it's not like the music they're playing is that
0: impressive. But what's on their stage? That's nothing so top is on secret? their stage though. Because that's the thing—they have no amps. There's nothing on the stage except.
2: Oh God, it's one of those bands. Yeah,
0: last year we again ended up in a festival with him and we just watched to see what was going on. And again, Jared Leto is all in white, like he's God. And there's and this and the second time seeing them, same thing. No amps on stage. There's nothing on stage. I could also see
2: Jared <laughs> not wanting people like getting him from side angles or something, like being weird about his angles. Probably. Like, oh, he doesn't want people on stage because he doesn't want people to see him from the side. Or he doesn't want to be distracted by anything in his peripheral vision. You know, just very sensitive. Yeah. Just very high maintenance. (laughs) He's like, it takes a lot of concentration to make music. (laughs) 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 I Um, love it.
0: (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Our next episode will be airing on August the 25th. And our guest, who we're going to be interviewing is none other than Roger O'Donnell from The Cure.
2: If anyone has questions for Roger, submit them now so we can ask them during our interview. And on that note, should we
0: bring in Kate? Yeah, let's do it. Here's, Here's to your idol, idol, Kate Nash. Kate
2: Nash
1: hello hi yeah <laughs> thanks so
2: much for doing this with us yeah laura when she said that she talked to you about being on the show she said i talked to kate on the phone and she's great and you're gonna love her she says the c word almost as much as you do <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: that was, i think i was dropping a lot of c bombs
0: in that conversation yeah yeah but it, it was for a good reason
1: <laughs> it was definitely there as a
0: <laughs> appropriate no, I, yeah <laughs> yeah (laughs) Um, well we're gonna ask you the first question which is uh have you ever met your idol and what were they like yeah yeah so should we should I just dive in
1: yes I mean I feel like I have more than one idol and I've met a few of them through doing music um and I do have some like positive experiences with that um I'll start with Regina Spector because she was like my Like, I was just so in love with her when I was a teenager. And I met her in Philadelphia through the NME, randomly. I was in New York, and they just wanted to do this press piece on, like, connecting, like, musicians with their idols. And I just, they got me on a train out to Philadelphia because I was in New York for a show, and she was in Philly. And we, like, met in this hotel room and had this interview. And she was so nice. Um, She's really a lovely person. I've met her a few times since then. And she's so awesome and not a letdown whatsoever. So we did this interview and I was really young at the time. So I was really starstruck. And then we like finished the interview and like went to the toilet. We both needed a toilet. So we went to the like hotel toilet. And then we were like next door to each other in these like really fancy hotel toilets. And I was like, damn, we're just going to like hear each other pee now. (laughs) I was really, really embarrassed. And all of a sudden she just goes, pee nerves and i was like yes (laughs) too nervous to pee (laughs) (laughs) and then we just like peed next to each other which was quite lovely so i've i've peed with (laughs) one of my idols actually which is pretty cool and then someone else who i absolutely love is uh shirley manson and she is just fucking awesome like shirley manson is probably the coolest woman in music like uh, she's just such a badass I think it's the Scottish in her, you know what I mean? Like Scottish people are just fucking cool. Like they're just really, they know how to talk to people and just be themselves. Yeah, and there's like no bullshit whatsoever. Um, and I met her in an acting class, really randomly, like like scary acting class. And she was like Kate Nash, and I was just like, ah, oh my God, that's Shirley Manson. <laughs> and she was really, she was just fucking awesome. And I got to like watch her do something totally different as well. And and that was cool to just see that she was just still like making herself vulnerable and doing new things and stuff. And I've, I've kept in touch with Shirley and she, I just, she's always so supportive of like every woman online. I always see her just like commenting on people's stuff and like liking people's things and like, I, and all her Instagram posts are hilarious. Um, I just love Shirley Manson so much. It's great that you are saying this because we actually
2: hear this quite often from other female musicians and Laura and I, are maybe the only two female musicians in our friend group <laughs> who have never
1: met her. Never oh met God. her. I have to introduce you to you guys. She should be on the podcast. Well, that's a, I mean, I know. That's what I thought. She's yeah. like, it'd be really
2: cool. One of the dream guests because she, we hear all the time from so many people, women in music, yeah. you know, supportive and great. She is, and nice, You know, we're friends with a lot of friends who've been taken on tour with her. You know, other women and bands who've opened for her, and she's given so many opportunities to. But for some yeah. reason, even though we love her to death
0: and she seems to be, like, our kind of, you know, our kind of yeah. people,
2: we've, neither one of us have ever
0: met her. Yeah, I know. It's mad. I actually saw her at a wedding once. <laughs> but I Really? Was, yeah, but I was too scared to say anything. And I was like, oh, there's Kelly Manson. <laughs> I really want to speak to her. But there was, she was with lots of people. And it just never felt like the appropriate time. I've
1: had that before where you just go, I'm, I was on, so I'm like a massive Buffy, the vampire slayer nerd. And I once made this like pilot show. It was like what kind of led to me being on Glow because Genji uh, Cohen was directing it and it was Genji Cohen and Gus Van Sant. And it was like set in the 1800s about like the Salem witch trials. So it was so cool and so intense. And um, James Masters, he plays Spike on Buffy, was in the cast. No and I way. was just like, oh. God, I can't believe! Like, I can't believe I'm on a show with Spike. This is insane. <laughs> is he the and one, um, like the peroxide blonde? Yeah, he's like oh the cool, gosh, hot, like yeah. bad vampire. Um, and I was like, I, I kept psyching myself up. And there was really cool people on that show. Eddie azard was on that show. Oh, awesome! Like the, the morning that I, I arrived the night before, and then that morning I got my wake up call in my hotel was Eddie, and he just like, <laughs> called my hotel room. And he was like, "Hello, Kate Nash," and I was like. Oh my God. Hi, Eddie. Is ours. Yeah. Cool. And he's like, we're going on a tour to see the Salem, like witch sites and stuff. And he was like, do you want to come with us? And I was like, yes, definitely. But I psyched myself up to like go and try and I was like, I have to say hello to James Masters before I go. And then I just got too scared. And I didn't do it. And on the one day that we were like on set on the same day, I chickened out. And then I realized the next day that he had, like finished doing his scene so i wasn't going to be able to see him and then we never even made the show so i missed my chance of like meeting spike
2: oh <laughs> uh, he's still out there somewhere in some cemetery bleaching his hair <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah you never know but you never know as i guess the point of this is like sometimes it's not great at meeting your idols well speaking of tv shows we wanted to ask
2: you about glow
0: yeah, we wanted to know whether acting was something that you had always wanted to do alongside music or was this a new thing that came about.
1: Yeah, so I um I did want to do acting. I I I mean I played piano and wrote songs as a kid growing up all the time um and kind of always wanted to write my own music and like be a singer. Um and then I started acting when I was like 15. I started taking acting classes and just really enjoyed it. And I applied to the Brit school, which is the free performing arts school in South London. And then like my parents took me to the opening night. They told me that they took me there to just kind of like placate me a little bit, but then they were really impressed with school when we went to this opening night. So they let me apply and audition and I, and I applied. I hadn't decided whether I was going to do music or theater, but I just loved the theater department presentation. So I, I, went, I went down the theater route at, at Brit school and I'm really glad I did because I feel like that really influenced my songwriting and really um just gave me a lot of confidence that I didn't have. And I think that like through acting and storytelling, like through like working on the stage and performance in theatre just like really built my confidence. And so then I had these plans to go to drama school, or university, and study theatre. And that just didn't work out because I didn't get into any universities. So I was working at Nando's Classic. And I was bored. <laughs> yeah. I was feeling really uninspired and, and jealous of my friends who were going off to do more exciting things. And I was at home just kind of feeling like sorry for myself. And so I decided to like record some songs, go back to songwriting. Um, because the thing about acting is like you are dependent on someone else giving you an opportunity, unless you're doing a one woman show or you know, one person show, um, you are relying on then a team and just kind of a lot of people. So I just felt like a music was this immediate thing I could turn back to. So I just picked up my guitar, went back to my piano and like recorded some like rubbish demos and made a MySpace page and put all my songs on there. Um, and then unexpectedly my career just kind of took off really quickly. So I just went down like the music path then acting is so hard. You know, I think if it's the only thing that people do it, I just really feel for actors that that's their sole thing, because you just really don't have much control and you just don't have a job until the day you do have a job. And as rubbish as I think the music industry is, <laughs> I, I think that we at least have the empowerment of like, we can just throw our own shows and you're, you're more empowered as a musician, at least I think.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I always think of it being, you know, hard for musicians because of the music industry which we all have to deal with. But at the same time, we do have that control where we can put on shows, we can put out music whenever we want, really, without I think anyone else. creatively.
2: I think it's easier in that respect. However, I think what's so hard about the entertainment industry in general or, or art. Not so not just entertainment, but creating art and trying to do that professionally is your success isn't determined by, and I'm just speaking of financial success, isn't determined by um, amount of talent or skill or how good of a person yeah. you are or how hard you work. It's up to, it's up to trends and who's going to give you press and luck and um, factors that are out of our control. And no matter how hard you work and how much you put out, it still comes down
1: to the audience and the press, and who hears it, and what 's cool in the moment, one thing musicians need to really like focus on um, is the fact that our industry is so unregulated um because that com- that contributes to it, even just like how much money you could earn on your spotify on your like pub you know with with the, mm-hmm. the songs like even if you 're not earning from touring, like we yeah. should be getting being paid more. We enter the music industry and like managers and stuff just tell us like, oh, this is how things are, so you just sign these like crazy contracts that give you zero rights and a really crappy percentage and it's like he go here it is for like 20 30 years um and it just it's just not workable there's no working class there's no like middle class even really of the of the of the music industry i think that if we could change that then that would that would contribute to like making it a little easier totally. in music at least
2: but there has to also be I think a shift from the listener where music has to be valued as something, you know, you should be paying for this. Somebody's Mm. creating this and you should be paying for it. I think maybe because of the internet and streaming and social Mm. media as as, um, helpful as it is in a lot of ways for artists, it's also maybe contributed to people devaluing music or seeing a little bit differently where they just expect it to be there
1: without having to give anything for it. So I don't think that's going to change in a way. No, I don't think so either. But it's still worth, it's still a like $62 billion industry. So like 12% of that is going to artists and that the majority of that 12% is going to the highest earners. So like your Taylor Swift, your Ed Sheeran. The people who
2: can go and sell out arenas yeah the top the top percentile and then it's like what
1: about everyone below that so i do think that there is money there it's like we're just told it's not really there for us and so it's up to like people within these companies to pay to pay us more fairly and to have more innovation about like you know how people uh pay for music but like there's definitely big earners and like record labels are still making money but like musicians are finding like less sort of purpose for those labels it's like what do you do for me it's
2: like oh we're gonna earn more and take more from you but we supposedly don't have a pr fund you need to push on social media yeah and you're in charge of all your own marketing and then it all comes down to social media which is
0: another kind of monopoly like it's just not it's not fair yeah it's, it's completely not fair yeah and you know major labels are earning more money now than they ever did and they think it's something yeah. like $1 million per hour is made through streaming, yet musicians are lucky if they see pennies for thousands of plays. Oh, my God. Um, not only that, the general public are paying nine ninety nine dollars 99 for the Spotify subscription, yeah. thinking that the music they listen to, that's where their money's going to, have no idea that it goes into one big pot. Yeah. And we, as artists that are like, you know, not Taylor Swift or not Ed Sheeran, are not seeing any of that but i would like to see the world without music and see how that pans out
2: laura and i both watched your documentary and talked about it extensively afterwards because we were able to relate to so many things you were going through and so many things you said have you gotten feedback from people where people have gotten behind you and supported what you were saying and what you were
1: expressing in the documentary? Or do you think it ruffled more feathers? Um, I think I've, I've had so many artists say that they really relate to it and that there's, they've gone through something similar. You know, I got loads of messages after it came out, just being like, I went through the same thing or I'm going through the same thing now or something similar. Um, and that, that's interesting because it, it can be, you know, that's from like the real indie band to like, the beginner to the older established or to the like pop mainstream like it it cross genre and like it crosses genre and crosses age you know that kind of experience which says a lot about the industry um like why are we all having the same experience because i just think it's i think it's just crap i think it's just fucking shit and i don't i just don't accept (laughs) it (laughs) I just don't totally. accept it. And I think we've all just been a bit brainwashed to like accept these shitty terms from like the 40s or the 50s. And like the world is completely different. So I feel really determined to do something with it for, for myself and peers and for future generations because we just don't deserve to be treated the way that we are. It is also going to just cause
2: the in terms of being a professional musician that's not going to even be an option in the future if it keeps going down. Well, rich kids will be able to if be we, musicians.
1: Yeah, they'll I just it'll be like the words rich out of our kids our mouth. will just live in the cities and make art. I don't know what that will look like, but I mean it? there's a lot of that in LA yeah. so already. Um but it is yeah.
2: It is pretty scary to think about, you know, just posterity in terms of people who feel the need or that draw to music and wanting to do it professionally and if they don't come from money how is that going to be possible with this kind of archaic system that we have this archaic business model
1: do you think that um america takes art as a job more seriously than the uk does i think in the uk there's still this sort of attitude that it's not a real job that's so interesting to hear that i mean i because i kind of.
2: Felt that the opposite, not that the UK takes it more seriously than America, but that in America, I feel the same way that you do about how the UK looks at being a professional musician, Mm. where I don't think it's really taken that seriously. And then you go to places like Canada or Scandinavia Mm -hmm. um, or even Germany. Those are great examples. Yeah, where there's actual money put into supporting people who are pursuing, you know, the art. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think that's the thing. I think probably like America has this sort of showy version because because england like i think will england english fans of music like love music and can like have started many american bands like careers you know what i mean it's the
2: only place i
1: even have an audience at all
2: so you know
1: i only tour the uk (laughs) i do think english fans are amazing i'm not trying to diss the fans i just mean in terms of like the general public view of what like an artist actually does for a living then I mean, maybe the american thing is more showy you know what i mean maybe it's more like respecting the fame or respect, well I, that's you know, what i was I gonna know. say i yeah. think it's more determined in america
2: it's more determined um by the money by money how yeah. how financially successful you are how f- famous you are already yeah and then it's more taken seriously because fame is taken really seriously <laughs> but in terms of actually yeah. like fostering and supporting the creative process and art um being an artist and that yeah. being a job I, I i think it's a struggle here too um a couple questions from the public one was a voice memo oh, wow. that was sent to us i know welcome to the 90s <laughs>
1: Hi Kate, this is
0: Sean from Drowned in Sound. Obviously MySpace gave you quite a big launch pad for your career and as a platform it was so much more fun than everything else. What few small things do you think that all the streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music, etc., and social media itself could do to be slightly better for musicians, what little changes would you make?
1: It's a great question, Sean. I have loads of opinions about it. I think first of all MySpace can never be replicated because it was completely uncontrolled it was just like there wasn't uh playlists or advertisers it's the coolest i think it's like one of the coolest times in the history of music because it literally was teenagers just calling the shots and that has just never happened really without some kind of marketing involved you know even like even like the sex pistols is just fake really it was just like a a totally like managed project it was like its own little x factor of like we're so cool and punk but like everything's really marketed and planned but like myspace was genuine and kids like were just picking music and putting it on their profiles and then they were like the cool kids and you'd find like some cool like notorious like myspace famous person and you'd find who they had on their page and then you could find music so easily because you just would check out everybody's top eights and then that person's top eights and that person's top eights. So I think that it will never be as good as MySpace um, because there'll never come a time where like Spotify would be like, oh, we're not going to just control everything and have, you know, it's, you know, it wasn't about money and it wasn't about playlisters. So it was totally wild and free, which I loved. But I, I do think that tech companies are gods they've like created this new way of living and they've taken on the omniscience and the omnipotence but they just haven't taken on benevolence and i think they really need to like sit with that and think about it and have a conscience because they've changed the world really drastically and they hire neuroscientists to make us addicted to their apps so i think like they could also um have an ethical team employed like they need like ethics implemented into their companies you know all these lies about the algorithm and all these lies about how much they're not listening to us they fucking are and spying on us so much like i i honestly don't know what it is that could happen on the platforms that already exist i think it is it about turning to new platforms that don't mine our data and that like are working maybe hire neuroscientists to like work on how you implement a real sense of community into your app because this is all new
2: this new tech world essentially you know there, there haven't been regulations yeah. and rules implemented that there maybe should be because because we've never had yeah, this because we didn't know mm-hmm. we,
1: we didn't know what the parameters were yeah uh, i think we have one more question from the public
2: a question submitted by james he wants to know what has your most meaningful achievement been so far just like a person like personally what's been um, meaningful to you
1: oh my god honestly i think recovering from everything in the dock and just kind of um getting through that and, and and not losing myself in that i think i was really tested and i i definitely hit the lowest point i've ever hit and i'm really proud that i overcame it and it's changing how you measure success yeah as well is that the sentence that Uh, stayed with me through all of that because I had to go okay like I've had like a number one hit I've I've been like made of bricks like foundations like one hit wonder like dried up like not as successful as like pop like radio one like Kate Nash right in like 2007 I had to just like let all of that go that other people put on me and just be happy with who I am and be happy with what I'm doing and be proud of what I'm doing now and like not compare it to mm. then, because it's different and just change how I measure success like what do I think is success what does it look like to me to like I, like equates to like my happiness yeah so, what's
2: meaningful to you as a person rather than yeah
1: yeah so I'm proud that I was able to like do that because it's definitely it's hard to like wash that stuff stuff off you know because you you feel like you carry it that around for
0: a bit for quite a while yeah, I mean that's something to be really proud of. You know, it takes a lot to be that strong and I think that's a really inspirational um answer. I
2: mean it resonates with both of us too for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kate, we have one last question and that is um do you have any rants or any raves right now? So like stuff that you're super into, stuff you're not into.
1: So I've been watching a lot of TV. If obviously in quarantine and I've been watching this new show called Rami I don't know if you've seen it it's on um it's on Hulu and it's really cool I think it's like a really unique show and I really recommend people watching it because it talks about so much of his experience being like um, an Egyptian Muslim and he's really funny and charming but like also his character is like annoying and very flawed in the show and he's like figuring it out also, so my boyfriend is really into gardening, and we've been watching these uh, permaculture YouTube like videos, <laughs> which is like... you have to explain what that <laughs> so, is. <laughs> I mean, I don't even feel like I'm fully qualified to explain. Let me look up what the actual definition is because my boyfriend is honestly <laughs> like the one. So it's it's permaculture is the development of agricultural ecosystems intended to be sustainable and self sufficient so it's like the good life it's like living off the land and like in a really eco-friendly way and there's this really good like australian youtube are you guys growing are you living off the land and outwater we are growing kale tomatoes uh loads of chards onions potatoes carrots <gasps> carrots letuses, aubergines Yum. um
0: our garden is like i'll really be right over off. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah that is honestly something i've always wanted to do that's really cool it
1: 's been really nice to like be doing that um we've We've started like showering with like a massive bucket because you can use what they call it gray water in gardening, but you can use gray water on anything that isn't like rooted so anything that grows up out of the ground like tomatoes, the plants are like filtered through everything so you can like use gray water so we've been totally watering all of our um plants in the garden that we can with like shower water that's really cool cool. so just start starting to do these things that like thinking more about the planet obviously because we're in covid but these films that we've been watching are called um they're by a company or a youtube production company called Happen. happen and it's all of yeah happen on youtube it's all about permaculture
2: when laura gets back to la come raid your
1: vegetable garden.
2: (laughs) Oh, we will
1: be there.
0: (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming on to the first episode of Never Meet Your Idols. Yeah,
2: thanks for having me, guys. It's a great way to start it, so thank you. Awesome. Bye, guys. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Never Meet Your Idols. Join us next week when we
0: welcome Roger O'Donnell from The Cure. To submit questions for us or our guests, email us at nevermeetyouridols at gmail.com or send us a message or voice memo on instagram at nevermeetyouridolspodcast until next time i'm karay and i'm laura mary See, See you, you next tuesday, tuesday.